This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. To my great misfortune, my life has changed completely. I'm being held against my will in a federal prison in Toluca, Mexico. Traveling here with a load of things to sell, I was tricked into being an accomplice in the transportation of marijuana. Today, I complete three weeks in captivity. Living conditions are horrible. Food is very poor. Nobody speaks my language or understands my culture. This intensifies the profound feelings of isolation and loneliness. I pass the days in zombie fashion. I have been very sick in body and spirit. Providing for my family has been the focal point of my life for the past 19 years. Now I'm helpless in their behalf. Each day deepens my depression and builds my feelings of hopelessness. My heart is broken. There is no light in my life. I feel as if I'm already dead and that this place is my tomb. In the fall of 1994, Eldon Kidd found himself incarcerated at the maximum security prison in Almoloya de Juarez. As a man who yearned for human connection and adventure, he was now caged and forced to choose between extreme solitude or violent confrontation with other inmates. As a lover of wide open spaces and nature, he had now only iron bars, bare walls, and the occasional pigeon who might land on the sliver of a window in his overcrowded jail cell. And as a father, he had now only letters, which he would scrawl on any bit of paper he could find, using busted writing instruments he treasured like heirlooms to communicate with the family he risked everything to provide for. If there was a hell, Eldon Kidd believed it was here just outside Toluca, Mexico, where he slept each night, not next to his wife, not in the room over from his children, not even under the stars, but on the cold, hard floor of a concrete cell. He had been trapped, and the chances for survival grew dimmer with each passing day. In a prison of 2,500 men, I was the only gringo. When I got there, um, it's pretty intimidating. Hoots and yelling and screaming and uh, fighting, and there's very little control there. Everybody's got weapons, everybody's got grudges and beefs. And um, I was escorted to a cell that had nine people in it, and my position was the floor. I didn't even have a blanket. Eldon was locked up in a notoriously corrupt prison in a foreign country where his understanding of the language was still sketchy at best. 
But perhaps the hardest thing about his first month behind bars was that he had no communication with his family back home in California. For Eldon's wife, Janice, finding out he'd been locked up was devastating. But she couldn't afford to grieve. She had a household to run, children to provide for, and sitting on her hands just wasn't her style. So she began making calls. It was a church connection, I believe. My, the way that the, the Mormon church organization is, you know, everything's tied to a geographical area. So if you wanted to find out who was in charge of that area in Mexico City where my father was, was in prison, you could make a phone call. Nathan Kidd remembers his mother and fellow Mormons rallying behind his father in an effort to get him all the help he needed. To no one's surprise, the recommended strategy for getting Eldon out of prison as soon as possible came down to simple dollars and cents. We had a deal where we were supposed to pay somebody off, whether it was a wine and dine the judge, and I remember we had pooled family resources together um, I think we had borrowed some money from grandparents. and I don't know what the dollar amount was, but it was supposed to be to get him out. Here's Eldon in a recording he made about his time in prison. My attorney, I guess that's what you could call him, who represented himself as a Mormon, this man gained the confidence of my family and charged me $10,000. And he said, with that money, he could pay off the judge, and I would go free. Well, later, it came time for sentencing. And unbeknownst to me, he called my family and said that he needed an additional $7,000, which my wife borrowed from a brother-in-law in Utah. Without a full grasp of the Spanish language or the circumstances that landed him in jail, Trying to navigate this entire process through long-distance phone calls and letters with Janice was a complicated, slow, and frustrating experience for Eldon. And he'd soon find out that the reality of his early release was far from a sure thing. In fact, it was more akin to a mirage in the desert, a promise of salvation that wasn't really there. There's a trial process it takes multiple trips back and forth to the court, but there's not a jury. I suppose there's a judge, but you wouldn't know who he was. There's a small room, looks like a phone booth, with plexiglass with a few holes so that you can kind of hear what's going on. Not my language yet. I didn't know what was going on. No one knew for sure if the attorney would or even could deliver on his promises. Waiting for his sentence nearly drove Elton insane. May 31st, 1995. Didn't sleep even a minute last night. Itching from hives, worrying. I'm very close to being crazy now. No, I am crazy. Back at home in Riverside, Janice Kidd sat, waiting by the phone, waiting to hear from Eldon with news of the judge's decision. And unbeknownst to her, so were the kids. I do remember 
um, picking up the phone and listening into a phone call that uh, my dad and mother were having. And I remember my dad being upset and saying they didn't take the payoff and that he was sentenced to 10 years. I treated it like a death, and I was angry at him for putting himself in a position that would do this to the family. Eileen Kidd still vividly remembers the moment she found out about her father's 10-year sentence. I remember bargaining in prayer at school the next day and praying and telling Heavenly Father or my God that I will be perfect. I will do anything. I will obey every commandment. I will not make a mistake if you just bring my dad back to our home. Meanwhile, Eldon's third daughter, Tammy, was too young to fully process the news. I was seven and I was thinking, okay, seven plus 10, 17. Like my mind was just blown away. I think that's the first time I realized that this was a long haul of a trial for our family. And, I couldn't even picture what I would be at 17. And Eldon's son, Nathan, dealt with it in the only way he knew how to as a kid. I remember just, you know, feeling it, the immense emotion just kind of pour over me. You know, it's just, I was already 10 years old at the time to think I have a whole nother lifetime to live without having my father. And I, I went out to the backyard and we had a, a red radial flyer wagon out there and we had a one of those axes that's a combination of sledgehammer on one end and axe on the other and i remember just and just beating this wagon you know just expending all of my energy and aggression into just destroying this wagon it was hard times Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Well, first of all, if you ever get the chance to go to a Mexican prison, turn it down. It's a great total immersion Spanish language situation, but it's worse than you can even imagine. Eldon had been given a 10-year sentence following his arrest and was looking at a decade inside one of the most corrupt and dangerous prisons in the world. There were a lot of characters there with a lot of strange habits. And I remember one guy in particular that would shave every hair of his body off. They called him Silky. There was another guy that put gum on his hands and just opened and shut his hands all his waking hours. There were people who would just wander screaming or just stand and stare. It was a uh, especially frightening before you knew the individual 
And then sometimes when you did know the individuals and their crime, it was even more frightening. You found yourself walking with your back to the wall quite often. I kept going by thinking that at some point, if I'm able to physically survive, then the 10 years will be up. And I, like all prisoners, hope for some chance of escape, Gabriel's trumpet or an earthquake or something that might free me out of there. But escape was nearly impossible. And for those that did attempt it, it did not end well. This was a brutal lesson Eldon learned in his first few months behind bars. It was pretty tough to escape. Um, and they had a count because someone was missing. Everybody was out, lined up. Where is he? Did he dress up like a priest or a nun or how? How, where is he? So it was a big search, a big search. Well, he must have got away. Good for him. But as Eldon and the other inmates soon found out, the man never made it to freedom. He was caught, and those in charge used him to send a message to the other prisoners. The water came out of a spigot once a day for about 15 minutes. And you have your bucket, that's your water for the next 24 hours. Bath, shower, shave, dump it down the toilet, whatever you want to do. The water started coming up with some little chunks and pieces and parts. What happened is they dumped him in the cistern and he just disintegrated in there. They had two dozen ambulances in there. Everybody was on stretchers out on the soccer field. Everybody was dying because of the mass. Oh my God, I just drank a dead guy, you know? So they had to go get the rest of his bones out and then people were afraid of the water for a month after that. They would just barely sip it almost to the point of dehydration. And if life behind bars wasn't hellish enough already for Eldon, it quickly became worse thanks to some legislation passed back in his home state. California's Proposition 187 attempts to solve the state's illegal immigration problem by denying services, like education and non-emergency health care, to illegal immigrants. The passing of Proposition 187 in California was a reaction to the public and political heat placed on illegal immigration in the mid-90s. It was designed to be harsh, but to many, it was seen as racist and downright inhumane. I was the only American citizen, and they kind of took that out on me. The press built it up quite a bit in Mexico, and there were TVs in the prison. So I became the focal point of the anger and frustration of the people there in the prison. Now a target for the other prisoners, 10 years in Almoloya de Juarez, started to feel like an impossibility to Eldon. On top of the danger from other prisoners, he also had to navigate the deplorable conditions inside. It's an actual fight for the food. The guards would wheel the vats into a, a patio area and then lock themselves behind the steel door before they would unlock 
the doors to the prisoners because it would be such a, a fight for the food. It could be heads, cow heads or burrow heads, and it could be entrails of some kind. The director of the prison had a meager salary, but that was his way of earning money. What he would do was present a bill to the state for a certain amount of food, and he would be paid, reimbursed that, and then he would go out and find the cheapest food that he could possibly find and get the receipt from the vendor for a, a higher price. The same way with the guards, they would put in what they call ghost guards because he would be allowed so much money for extra guards, which were paid about $180 a month, but he would put more people on the payroll and then just keep that, and so guard towers stood empty. And it was pretty much a free-for-all in the prison, and that's when debts were settled and scores were settled. So it was quite a dangerous time at night. The people liked to fight there with knives, but they would seldom stick the knife into a person. They would slash with it. And so there were a lot of people who were pretty badly disfigured, especially those who had been in prison for a number of years. I saw one guy that didn't pay back a very small debt who was stabbed in the temple with a pencil and died a day later. I saw a guy that they poured boiling cooking oil on him as he sat down in a chair and it, it took him a couple of weeks to die. But after a while you begin to harden your heart against other people's pain as a way of survival. In his darkest days, Eldon clung to the sliver of hope he would make it out of prison alive. As he saw it, he had to survive. He had to survive for his family. They were the light at the end of this dark, disturbing tunnel. But Eldon would have the opportunity to see his family sooner than he thought, thanks to Janice's efforts back home. Here's Eldon's son, Nathan, again. There was a, a, a kind soul named Armando who... Uh, started visiting my father every week in jail, bringing him food, kind of watching out for him through a, a, an act of service and love, just took on that responsibility. When I first arrived at the Almoyola Yale, for me, it was something new. And I was entering an underworld like I had never seen. Those are the words of Armando Flores, as read from a written interview he did with us in Spanish that has been translated and read by a voice actor. Armando, a connection Janice Kidd made via the Mormon church in Mexico, was a bright, piercing ray of sunshine in Eldon's life during his incarceration. The first thing I could perceive, he was a good man. And so for me, Eldon was a brother I had to take care of. He was helpless in a place foreign to his language, everything against him. I had to do something. The first thing I thought was to bring him food. I brought a family meal of Kentucky Fried Chicken. When he saw me, he became so happy, and he literally devoured the entire meal. It was for both of us. However, seeing him taste the food and seeing his tears of gratitude, I did not have the courage to tell him that. We talked for a couple of hours, and finally I had to say goodbye and that I would see him next weekend. 
There was no doubt in my mind that our Heavenly Father was shaking my hand. I felt satisfied that I was doing the right thing. And it wasn't just food that Armando was bringing Elton. In one case, he brought Elton clothes from his family and later discovered that there was more to the care package than he knew. On one visit, I brought with me two suitcases. Among the items were clothes and a strangely shaped toothbrush. Later, Eldon showed me that this toothbrush divided into two parts. The handle was separated in such a way that it served as a weapon to defend oneself. I would never have imagined it. I could feel the great grief of my friend, and I advised him to take care of himself. As their relationship grew, it wasn't long before Armando proposed the idea of organizing a visit for Eldon and his family. Eldon, of course, agreed. But the brutality of prison had left its mark. He was emotionally drained, physically depleted from lack of sleep, and he'd lost weight, a lot of weight. And the prospect of his family seeing him like that made him nervous. So on the day of the visit, he employed a little sleight of hand. I remember uh, walking through and being searched on the way in. Seeing my dad for the first time, they went and they called him out of his cell, and he came out wearing a big sombrero, a poncho, and a giant smile. And he had a big duffel bag with gifts in it for us. You know, he's, he's always true to character as far as making things fun and exciting. And we met in this courtyard. My dad had paid someone and reserved a, a plastic table. It was, you know, your typical Mexico experience. There was somebody walking around selling chicharrones, uh, mango, fresh fruit. This was inside the prison. I don't know how they had entrepreneurs inside the prison, you know, sell, selling these, these different uh, amenities, but they were, they were there and, and uh, available for us. He would draw our attention elsewhere, you know, things that he didn't want us to focus on the confines of the space. But luckily, we were outside, but it was always saying, well, look at this tree. Did you know this tree came from such and such a place? Or you see that bird over there? It likes to eat this. So it was always drawing our attention outward. It was more like just like a park where we're a family, having a family afternoon in a park. I remember it started to rain. Everybody went inside and we just pulled a tarp over us. We had a blue tarp underneath the picnic table and we were all huddled under there as a family. And I remember just thinking, this is, this is so great to have us all. I, I couldn't have been in a better place than to have us all be sitting in the middle of this courtyard in a Mexico City jail under a tarp sitting on a plastic table with it starting to rain. Looking back, I'm sure it really hurt my dad a lot to see all of us and have to put on a good show, but he put on a good show. The visits from Armando and his family lifted Eldon's spirit and his attitude about his time in prison began to shift in small but crucial ways. There were no showers. Uh, the toilet's a hole in the floor, but they had a patio with a garden hose. 
So I would take the prisoners, sit them in a chair, soap them up, hose them down, give them a shave, give them a haircut, make them feel human. And that endeared me to them and their family. Hey, the gringo's okay, don't mess with him. He helped me. That was my tact with the people there at the prison. How can I help you? What can I do for you? As a result of Eldon's kindness, the target on his back soon faded, and he was no longer on edge every waking moment of every day. I finally got a little job at the, uh, the prison hospital. The doctor there had only one arm that was functioning from a stroke. So he taught me how to do suturing on a sponge, uh, many different medical procedures that, you know, I shouldn't be doing. And I was there when the new people came in that had been beaten up like myself. So I was pretty much the first person that they saw. But it wasn't all kindness and pleasantries for Eldon. Anytime he felt like he was getting ahead of the pain and suffering of life in prison, he'd get a stark reminder of what life behind bars was really like. A frightening incident that often comes to mind is when I was working in the medical clinic and somebody brought me some food and I had eaten three quarters of it and noticed that the upper part of my palate was bleeding. And on a more careful search, I noticed that there was a lot of shaved glass in my food. Another time, they had us locked into our individual cells and they came in with some foggers to attempt to kill the fleas and bed bugs and roaches. And the windows were closed. It was basically, they were bombing the place. And we couldn't breathe. We actually could not breathe. Um, people were throwing up, and their eyes were burning, throats were hurting. And so we decided to break out the windows knowing that it would be bitterly cold because of the winds of 30, 40 miles an hour. But we decided we had to do it anyway, knowing that they would probably never be replaced. So we broke out the windows and that gave us some relief from the bug spray. Uh, but we did suffer the rest of that winter with some, some very, very cold temperatures. Even after giving haircuts to fellow prisoners or spending a long day working at the prison hospital, he'd still have to return to his overcrowded cell where he slept with nine other inmates, on the floor and without a blanket. If he was going to survive 10 years in this hellhole, he'd have to change something about his living situation. So he thought back to those first few tours, before he became a coyote, when a strategically placed cigarette filter or a $20 payoff was all it took to take control of a bad situation. Only instead of making himself the hero, this time, he created a villain. The Catholic religion runs deep and those kind of things are prevalent in the local belief system. When I tapped into the superstition, I figured a plan. There was a pigeon with a broken wing. I smuggled him back to the cell, popped his head off, and made a bloody cross on the wall. Now the cell is haunted because no one knows how it happened. 
I hid the pigeon. All of a sudden, there's just a bloody cross on the wall. So five people move out. We're not living here. We'd rather triple up with somebody else. At night, I would wake up and just heave a glass bottle against the wall. Not say it was me, no one knew who it was. So I would constantly do these little annoyances so it got down to just me. Nobody wanted to be in my haunted cell, no way. And that's how it came to be that Eldon Kidd, the only gringo in a prison of 2,500 Mexicans, was able to secure his very own private cell. And for the first time since he arrived, Eldon thought with his new accommodations and some of his old tricks, he just might be able to survive a decade behind bars in the squalor of a Mexican prison. Next time on American Coyote. The prison director was a short, dark, evil man. He got the idea from watching reruns of the American Gladiator program that I would be a moneymaker for him. And for entertainment, they would have a boxing ring. And they had all through the lightweight, all the way up to the heavyweight. So mine was, of course, the most interesting, you know, heavyweight. I was obligated to box about once a month, sometimes twice. American Coyote is created, written, and produced by Joshua Schaefer and Eli Chorus of Pegalo Pictures. Executive produced by Jason Hoke and produced by Andrew Richards of Imperative Entertainment and produced by Alvin Cowan. Original music for the series is composed by Joshua Klebe. Assistant editing by Max Drankpole. Sound recording by Nick Sinakis and Matt Stouter. Additional voice recording by Carlos Linares. Sound editing by Joshua Schaefer and Nick Sinakis. Sound design and sound mixing by Craig Platty. Poster design and graphics by Jeff Quinn. Production Legal by Sean Fawcett of Raymond Legal PC and Davis Wright Tremaine, LLP. Host Record by Deborah Reeves and Signature Sound in San Diego, California. Please subscribe, download, and share these episodes and follow us on social media for extra content and updates. I'm your host, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. Thanks again for listening.